and welcome to the weekly review with roman today it's friday september 13th 2019 thanks so much for tuning in wow okay so starting off the show with some music as per usual the last song we heard was love come down by evelyn champagne king and before that we heard eddie money with take me home tonight and it might seem like an odd choice maybe if you don't know me to play eddie money however i really like that song and also he passed away this morning so i wanted to share that song and as i was i wouldn't even call it a guilty pleasure because i'm not i don't feel guilty about liking that song and i was doing some research this morning and by research i mean looking on wikipedia which okay i guess maybe that's not so much research to read about him a little bit and it turns out his grandfather, his father, and his brother were police officers with the NYPD, and Eddie Money was going to be a police officer. Oh, I've had a lot of coffee. That's why I'm talking so quickly. He was going to become a police officer and decided not to, and moved to California instead, and became a musician. So hats off to Eddie Money, and perhaps that will inspire other folks. If you come from a long line of police officers, maybe take up music instead. You can create such wonderful hits as Take Me Home Tonight, which I know makes me feel a lot better. <sighs> okay, so there is a lot of news stories to get to, as per usual. I'll provide a, a trigger warning, because we'll be talking about what's happening in the world, uh, state violence. Uh, ugh, ugh. The, I, you will most likely hear my sound effects, my groans, my sighs. <sighs> There's one. It'll, it'll come up throughout the program. Thanks for tuning in. Perhaps it's your first time. Perhaps you've listened before. I really appreciate it. Thank you for, for tuning in. And, oh, yeah, I'm really amped. I only had one cup of coffee this morning, and I'm really, I guess I made it very strong. It's super hot here, climate change. It's supposed to be in the 80s today, and so please do stay hydrated if you can, and make sure fellow humans, uh, pets, plants, beings that need water have water. There's a lot of protests happening because there's a lot of terrible things happening and there's a lot of folks taking action. So that's the positive thing. I don't want to get uh, bogged down in my pessimism or cynicism or fear because there's a lot of terrible things that are happening. And also I want to note that there are so many folks who have been organizing for such a long time and there's a lot of folks uh, showing up in a variety of ways. So if you're also upset about what's happening in the world and have been, there's lots of ways for folks to show up. And I'll be going over a few of these throughout today on the program first wanted to start off some t I, there's no order i guess i mean there is an order however eh, i'm just going to start talking about things that are happening so coming up on monday september 16th there's a protest in march at uh, 24th and mission it starts at 11 a.m there's a rally at 12 p.m there's a march to city hall and 1 p.m there's a rally 3 p.m there's actions and delegations 6 p.m is a celebration at 24th and mission if you'd like to get involved you can contact the organizers at four I didn't say quite what this was for, though. It is for amnesty and full rights now, close the camps, no ban, no wall, and ICE. So if you're agreeing with all of these things, then please do show up if you can and or spread the word. If you'd like to get involved, you can contact the organizers at 415-206-0577. You can check them out on Facebook, uh, A Day Without Immigrants SF. Or if you're on Instagram, it's at A Day Without Immigrants SF. And yes, so got a flyer here at the station. I will leave this here for the next folks coming in. Also, uh, climate change, yikes. Oh, ugh. 
So there's a lot of protests happening around climate change as well. And of course, it's all connected due to the, I mean, we can say that the the biggest polluter in the world is the U.S. military. So that's militarization. And yeah, just a, a fact right there. So I think it's important to, when we talk about climate change and fighting against climate change, talking about the corporations and talking about uh, the military, which contributes quite a bit to climate change. So there's a couple of, there's, a, there's many protests happening. I will get to the ones I've heard about. This is a shutdown, climate profiteers, climate justice rising, global climate strikes. And you can check out their information. I wonder how many times I've had checkout on this program. Quite a bit. ClimateJusticeSF.org. Let's read a bit about what's happening. On Wednesday, September 25th, there's a nonviolent direct action happening at 7 a.m. at Montgomery and Market in downtown San Francisco. And the flyer says, this past year has been record heat, has seen record heat waves, destructive wildfires, and a burning Arctic. But it's been years of talking, countless negotiations, empty promises, and fossil fuel companies being given free rides to drill beneath our soils and burn away our futures for their profit. Politicians have known about climate change for decades. They have willingly handed over their responsibility for our future to profiteers whose search for quick cash threatens our very existence. We have learned that if we don't start acting for our future, nobody else will make the first move. We are the ones that we've been waiting for. This September, millions of people will take collective action to demand climate justice. Our house is on fire, and now we must act like it. Join us in San Francisco for a mass mobilization on September 25th to confront the corporations and governments responsible for driving and profiting from this crisis. So again, this is happening on Wednesday, September 25th, nonviolent direct action, 7 a.m. at Montgomery and Market in downtown San Francisco. We are also calling on allies to join the youth-led global climate strike on September 20th from 10 a.m. or at 10 a.m. at the San Francisco Federal Building, which is at 7th and Mission, for a march and rally led by Youth versus Apocalypse. And on September 23rd, from 7 to 10 a.m., we will be swarming near Union Square in order to raise awareness about the reality of the crisis, as well as the actions in the coming days. We will be disrupting traffic and performing outreach to every car stopped. Low risk and high reward. We'll offer trainings day of. Visit www.bayareaclimatestrike.net. For more information and to join trainings and meetings, go to www.climatejusticesf.net. Org. And this is organized by Idle No More SF Bay, Diablo Rising Tide, Extinction Rebellion SF Bay, Society of Fearless Grandmothers, and 1,000 Grandmothers. So climate change is something that affects every single being on Earth. And please do show up if you can and or spread the word. There's lots of ways that folks can show up. So I wanted to share those events. There's also events, one event, well, there's many events happening, of course, uh, right now. However, one that's happening locally right now is down at Palantir. So Palantir, super gross corporation. They are, uh, excuse me. They've provided, uh, inf uh, they're working with ICE. They're collaborating with ICE. And so folks have been protesting at Palantir and they have shut it down already today. Last I checked. And folks will be, there's a couple of rallies happening down there today in Palo Alto. And there's also rides that are happening down there. So I'm going to share some information if you are in the Bay Area and able to go. Um, there are rides offered, and if or, and or if you can't offer a ride, please go to the event website 
Uh, it's Palantir, Never Again is Now, hashtag no tech for ice. There's an event that happened, started at 11 a.m. this morning, I believe, and there's another one starting at 4 p.m. It's at 100 Hamilton Avenue in Palo Alto. And again, if you check it on Facebook, there's a public event that's hosted by the Coalition to cl- Close the Concentration Camps Bay Area, as well as 18 other organizations. Hundreds of people are going and or interested. The details... Palantir, never again is now. Jews Against Ice and allies know our history. IBM sold tech to Nazis. Palantir sells tech to ice. This state-sponsored terror must end now. Join us in actions to shut down Palantir from coast to coast on September 13th to demand they hashtag drop ice contracts because never again is now. Carpools are available. We are calling on those who denounce ICE's reign of terror to join in action outside of the Palo Alto headquarters of Palantir, a tech company that provides tools for immigration and customs enforcement. Last month, Palantir renewed its contract with ICE, providing a tool that has been used by ICE agents in investigations of children who cross the border alone and their families. This tool, called Investigative Case Management, was used by ICE agents in an operation that specifically targeted the families and sponsors of unaccompanied children, comparing them to smugglers and investigating them for arrest and deportation. Palantir has another tool that was used by agents leading workplace raids, which spiked 650% in President Trump's first year in office. Ew, I said his name. Gross. And we have seen ICE agents tackling people to the floor, handcuffing them, and loading them onto buses in front of their friends and family. Palantir must drop these contracts. The signing date for Palantir's ICM contract is September 20th. It's not too late for Palantir to pledge it will not work for ICE's deportation machine. It's not too late for Palantir workers to join hundreds of other tech workers saying hashtag tech won't build it and pledge that they will not use their skill to build tools for immigration enforcement. Palantir is complicit as IBM made punch cards for Nazi Germany, or as Hugo Boss designed uniforms for the Nazi SS, so is Palantir hitching its legacy to a machine of human rights atrocities that will live in infamy. History teaches all of us that we must not repeat the mistakes of previous generations, mistakes that lead to grave amounts of human suffering. We are seeing this suffering today in concentration camps, detaining thousands and thousands throughout the country at our border, or I like to say a fake ass line that y'all invented, excuse me, uh, where people are arbitrarily prevented from entering and in workplaces, schools and homes nationwide subject to cruel deportation raids. We refuse to stand by and see what new terror the administration will roll out with its corporate partners. The time to stand up to Palantir is now. We know that the pressure of the people is working and that our protesting is getting to Palantir's decision makers. Tech conferences not wanting to be associated with human rights atrocities have been dropping Palantir as their sponsors. Palantir co-founder Joe Lonsdale felt the need to write an op-ed defending his former company and CEO Alex Karp was motivated to publish an op-ed in the Washington Post in a vain attempt to absolve Palantir of its role in ICE's terrorism. Until Palantir cuts its ties with ICE, we will make it impossible for them to do business as usual. We have learned a simple lesson from past human rights violations. It is only by sitting by and doing nothing that we allow suffering on our watch. Collaborators are complicit. We have a duty to oppose them. Palantir must be held accountable. It's time for tech workers throughout Silicon Valley to choose a side. Join us and demand that they do. No- that they do. Join us 
and demand that they do. No tech for ICE. And as far as accessibility goes, um, our goal is to be as upfront about the physical accessibility of this action as possible. If you have ac accessibility needs or questions, uh, they have two access coordinators on hand to support your participation. If you'd like to get in touch ahead of time or have questions about the day, please, please reach out to us here by Facebook message. And you can, again, contact them through their Facebook page. And again, if you type in Palantir, never again is now, hashtag no tech for ice, you will find the event invite. Whew. Okay. Whew. Whew. Taking a deep breath. I did want to get to a, oh gosh. I have a few tabs open of news stories to get to. And I guess we'll start off with the one I opened, which also happens to do with ICE. This is from Newsweek, which I know is it's pretty mainstream. However, they are reporting on what's happening. Uh, ICE is building a state-of-the-art urban warfare training facility that will include hyper-realistic simulations of homes in Chicago and Arizona. And this was written by Chantel Da Silva, and it came out on September 11th. Ugh. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency is looking to build a state-of-the-art urban, excuse me, urban warfare training facility that will include hyper-realistic simulations of homes, hotels, and commercial buildings in Chicago and Arizona. In an acquisition form for the procurement of hyper-realistic training devices for a new training facility for its expanding social response team (SRT) program. ICE outlined the details of plans for its new training center in a document published on the U.S. Federal Bill excuse me, Federal Business Opportunities website. While ICE sought to redact the location of the new training facility in the document, it was not successful in doing so. That's interesting because ICE seems to be not successful in doing a lot of things. After copying and passing the document's contents into a separate document, Newsweek was able to establish that the facility will be built at the Office of Firearms and Tactical Programs, OFTP, Tactical Operations Complex, TOC, at Fort Banning, Georgia. Independent uh, journalist Darwin Bond-Graham, who is a local here in San Francisco, initially pointed out that plans for the facility had been published on the Federal Business Opportunities website on Tuesday, pointing out key lines in the document on Twitter. The new training center is expected to be part of an expansion at Fort Benning, a U.S. Army post straddling the Alabama-Georgia border next to Columbus, Georgia, which is expected to see as many as 50 additional buildings added to the site. Ugh. If I could vomit on cue, this would make me vomit. Ugh. At a minimum, the TOC will contain a multitude of basic, intermediate, and hyper-realistic training devices, a tactical training warehouse, classroom facilities, and vehicle assault training area, I said. Fuck them. Ugh. Details like the number of dishes left on the table, toys in the yard, all provide clues. That's a quote from them. With the initiative expected to cost an estimated total of $961,347.75, money, of course, that could be used to actually, I don't know, help people provide health care, housing, education, food. Oh, gosh. ICE states that it is specifically interested in creating a Chicago, in quotes, style replica and an Arizona style replica in addition to a fishbowl setup where instructors can view classes from above. And they have the price estimates listed here. It's all fucking disgusting. And those funds should be used for helping people, not harming them. Ugh. 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 Okay, I'm going to have to scream. I'm going to turn off the mic for a moment while I scream.
Okay. Gosh. Ugh. So, ugh. Fuckers. Among the training devices expected to be included at the new training site are hyper-realistic props design that simulate residential houses, apartments, hotels, government facilities, and commercial buildings, along with other training configurations. The devices are defined as scalable, portable, modular training structures that would be made from portable shipping containers or other appropriate modular materials that can be relocated to alternate sites as needed. Hyperrealistic is defined as such a high degree of fidelity in the replication of battlefield Battlefield, what the fuck? I, ah! Oh, this is so fucking ridiculous. Oh my gosh, okay. Replication of battlefield conditions in the training environment that participants so willingly suspend disbelief that they become totally immersed and eventually stress inoculated, I says. The, oh gosh. Hyperrealism, the agency states, is a critical component to this acquisition as the details provide essential information that must be acknowledged, processed, and acted upon to minimize risk for their special agents. Yeah, they're the ones at risk, even though they sign up for a job which involves harming people. Gosh. <sighs> okay. Deportation officers and SRT operators during high-risk during high, during high search and arrest warrants, fugitive operations, undercover operations, hostage rescue, gang operations, etc. Wow. All this energy going into uh, kidnapping children. Congratulations. Hope you feel good about yourself. For example, details like the number of dishes left on a table, to toys in the yard, lighting, furniture, etc., all provide clues that allow our agents and officers to infer vital information that directly affects their safety. Yeah. Furniture is really scary. I'm glad you have information on that. Oh, I'm, this, I'm so fucking livid right now. Okay, I'm going to finish reading this article. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get through it. Ah, uh, okay. Affects their safety and the potential resolution or outcome in this scenario. It continues. Learning to process this information quickly to identify whether there are children present or how many people are currently in the structure is a necessarily is a necessary skill developed in training. A defense science board task force found that the probability of being a casualty decreases significantly. I'm not gonna. I will finish their sentence, but I'm gonna imagine. The, uh, the probability of being a casualty will also decrease if they decide to quit being ICE agents. Okay. I'll finish their sentence. Decreases significantly after the first few decisive combats, it adds. These hyper-realistic devices will allow the teams to have those experiences in real-world conditions without the real-world casualties. Fucking idiots. Oh my gosh. According to the document, ICE is in the process of expanding its special response teams stationed throughout the U.S. and Puerto Rico. Uh, well, I'm glad that, you know, instead of providing Puerto Rico with, you know, resources after natural disasters, they are instead sending in troops and militarized forces. That's fucking great. New ICE employees have already been expected to receive training at the Maneuver Center of Excellence. Oh, that's a fucking fun name. In... I'm going to stop myself here. I did come in this morning and I was in a good mood, all things considered. I was appreciating some, you know, listening to Eddie Money this morning. And um, I was like, oh, maybe it'll be like a an up. I know I go over the news on this show and it can be depressing and frustrating and scary. And I also recognize the importance of humor in the world and using humor to as a tactic to survive and I was like, oh, maybe it'll be like a funnier show. But right now, I just want to fucking smash things, to be honest. <sighs> well, let me finish reading this article. Ugh. 
Okay. Where was I? What kind of fucking nonsense were we talking about here? Okay, so there, there, this maneuver center of excellence in Fort Benning, where ICE's office is, ICE's office of training and tactical programs, firearms and tactics division, makes its home, according to a May 2017 news release published online by ICE. Breaking down what takes place at Benning, ICE Division Chief Bert Medina said in a statement included in the release that ICE trains experienced law enforcement personnel in the use of force and existing weapons in application of force. In addition, we provide law enforcement instructors with the skills and abilities to teach use of force and defensive techniques with and without weapons so they can prepare ICE officers on the front lines of federal law enforcement to perform their duties safely and in accordance with standards. Well, I guess you got to teach people how to harm children. So, oh, okay, that's the end of the article. And, oh, wait, no, there's another paragraph here. The new training facility at Fort Benning would support those teams with training that allows them to experience combat conditions in a training environment that truly reflects real, real world conditions, but in a controlled, duplicate, duplicatable, and dynamic setting. Fuckers. Newsweek has contacted ICE for comment for this article and for more information on plans for the training facility. And what a bunch of... F and I'll, we'll read... Uh, the comments are pretty much like, fuck ice. Not the, not so much, but yes. Okay. So yeah, fuck ice. That's my, that's my article with two words. Okay. <sighs> going to shift over because there is a, I think one positive news story this week. Well, there's a lot of, po there's a lot of positive things that are happening. I don't want to just say, oh, institutions of power that are causing harm are getting larger and there's positive things that are happening. So something that's uh, pushed back in the right direction. I wanted to share. There's an article from the guardian, California bans private prisons, including ice detention centers. So this is a positive thing. Bill removes profit motive from incarceration and marks latest clash in States battle with Trump over treatment of immigrants. And this was written by Darwin bond Graham. And it came out on September 12th. The private prison industry is set to be upended after California lawmakers passed a bill on Wednesday banning the facilities from operating in the state. The move will probably also close down four large immigration detention facilities that can hold up to 4,500 people at a time. The, leg the legislation is being hailed as a major victory for criminal justice reform because it removes a profit motive from incarceration. It also marks a dramatic departure from California's past when private prisons were relied on to reduce crowding in state-run facilities. Private prison companies used to view California as one of their fastest-growing markets. As recently as 2016, private prisons locked up approximately 7,000 Californians, about 5% of the state's total prison population, according to the Federal Bureau of Justice Statistics. But in recent years, thousands of inmates have been transferred from private prisons back into state-run facilities. As of June, private prisons held 2,222 of California's total inmate population. The state's governor, Gavin Newsom, must sign AB 32, must still sign AB 32. But last year, he signaled support for the ban and said during his inaugural speech in January that the state should end the outrage of private prisons once and for all. Currently, one company, the Geo Group, operates four private prisons in California under contract with the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. 
The contracts for these four prisons expire in 2023 and cannot be renewed under AB 32, except to comply with a federal court order to reduce crowding in state-run facilities. In addition to signaling a major criminal justice reform, uh, AB 32 also has become a flashpoint in California's fight with the Trump administration over the treatment of immigrants. The bill's author, the assembly member, Rob Bonta, originally wrote it only to apply to contracts between the state's prison authority and private for-profit prison companies. But in June, Bonta amended the bill to apply to the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency's four major California detention centers. Bonta's amendment, say immigrant rights advocates, appears to have caught immigrant immigration's and customs enforcement and the private prison companies at a moment when their current contracts are expiring. The result is that instead of slowly phasing out immigration detention centers as their existing contracts expire years down the road, most will face closure next year, unless ICE and its private prison contractors find a workaround. I think Geo Group is realizing their scheme to circumvent state law is putting them in a place where they could end up being nailed, said Hamid Yazdan Panah, an immigration attorney and the regional director for the North Northern California Rapid Response and Immigration Immigrant Defense Network. Two of ICE's largest immigrant detention centers in California are operate are operated by the Geo Group through complicated contracts that use cities as middlemen. The city of Adelanto signed an agreement in 2011 with ICE to hold up to 1,300 immigrant detainees facing deportation. Adelanto then subcontracted the prison operations to Geo Group. What ICE does is they locate in these very poor and remote areas, said Lisbeth Abelm of the Inland Coalition for Immigrant Justice. The private prison comes in and lobbies and promises jobs and tax money. According to a report by the California State Auditor, this complicated subcontracting model allowed ICE and Adelanto to forego competitive bidding for the center's operations subcontract. A similar process unfolded just north of Bakersfield in McFarland, where in 2015, the city agreed to serve as the middleman for the GEO Group, which operates the 400-bed Mesa Verde detention facility. Geo Group expanded the Adelanto Center in 2015 to 1,940 beds, making it the second largest adult detention center in the country. And with the Trump administration's crackdown against undocumented immigrants, another 1,000-bed expansion is planned. Last year, Geo Group reportedly sought to purchase property in Bakersfield for a major expansion of Mesa Verde. But these complicated contracts were outlawed last year. Under the state Dignity Not Detention Act, cities and counties, including Adelanto and McFarland, were barred from signing new agreements with ICE or amending existing contracts to permit expansion. To expand their detention center, Geo Group and ICE would have to cut their ties with the city of Adelanto, said Jose Servin, the communications coordinator of the California Immigrant Youth Justice Alliance. Geo Group asked both cities to break off their ICE contracts, and the cities agreed. ICE then provided Geo Group with contemporary contracts to operate Adelanto and Mesa Verde. Both agreements expire next March, after AB 32 is expected to go into effect. My understanding is AB 32 would prevent new contracts for these facilities, said Pinal. The fact they're on a one-year bridge, it won't allow them to move from, one, from the one-year contract to a longer-term contract. ICE declined to answer any questions about how AB 32 affects its detention center contracts. 
CoreCivic operates the Ote Mesa Detention Center in San Diego under a direct contract with ICE and is building a 512-bed expansion to house immigrant detainees according to Securities and Exchange Commission filings. But its ICE contract expires in June 2020. When California's prison system capacity was at 200% and conditions were so challenging as to be deemed unconstitutional, companies like ours were one of the solutions the state turned to, Ugh, said Brandon Bissell, a course of spokesperson. And I'm going to interrupt to say, well, you can also start arrest, stop, excuse me, you can also stop arresting so many people and therefore the, therefore there'd be fewer people in prison. <sighs> In recent years, contracts with California's prison authority have amounted to as much as 12% of CoreCivic's total revenue, more than any other state prison authority in the U.S., according to SEC filings. CoreCivic and GeoGroup spent $130,000 during the first six months of this year lobbying the legislature and governor against AB32. On September 6th, AB32 was amended to allow GeoGroup, CoreCivic, and other for-profit prison companies to continue operating after 2020, but only to help the state comply with a court-ordered prison population cap. Otherwise, the use of private prisons for state inmates is to be fully phased out by 2028. Immigration advocates still worry that ICE and its contractors could find a way to circumvent the ban. This legislation is the most powerful we've had. It's a very big step, said Albin excuse me, Abel, about AB32, but we know that GeoGroup and ICE work in secrecy, and they work to circumvent contract laws, so we're still monitoring things. Servin said that while the new law was a significant victory, there was one other thing immigrants, immigrants' rights groups were concerned about. When several sheriff's departments canceled their contracts to house ICE detainees last year, instead of freeing the detainees, ICE moved many of them to prisons in Colorado and Hawaii. We have to worry about all the people who are detained right now, said Servine. There, Where will they end up? Hmm. Oof. So. Oh. Again, that article is from The Guardian, uh, written by Darwin Bond Graham. And uh, I think it's time for just a bit of a music interlude. Ugh. Oh, goodness. And, uh, yeah. Just taking a few deep breaths and we'll be back in a bit.
Welcome back to the Weekly Review. Ah, that was Band of Thieves with City Slicker. And before that, we heard Angelo Badalamenti with Dance of the Dream Man. Coming up next, I'm going to play a news clip. Um, but there's a lot of reasons I do this show, and I end up learning a lot. There's a lot of things to know and a lot of things to learn. Oh, that sounded so... Oh, well. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to continue on. And I found this video yesterday, and I learned a lot from it, so I thought it would be important to share here while we can. Uh, I think it's important if you have a, a platform to share the truth and help educate uh, oneself and others if possible. So this was posted on Twitter um, by Now This, which you can follow at Now This News. 
And this is about what's happened in Pakistan and the title or the a brief summary. Um, approximately 23,000 Shia Muslims have been killed in Pakistan since 1963 over their beliefs. And the violence has no end in sight for this in-depth original report. Now this travel to Pakistan to see firsthand how the country and the world have turned a blind eye. So it's about a almost 10 minute video that you can find online as well. And I've watched just a, a heads up. There's some of the, it's, I've, I know I've already provided a trigger warning on the show, but also want to just restate that. So oh, it's, it's just difficult to hear. And also it's our responsibility to witness what's happening and uh, to, to share what's happening at the very, very least. So we'll be back uh after this. I'm Sarah Heather. This is Now This. And today I'm in Pakistan to dive deep into one of the world's most underreported stories, the persecution and target killings of Shia Muslims. We'll speak with locals who can tell us what life for Pakistani Shias looks like today. We don't even feel that we can live and breathe freely in this country. We have not been saved here. And we'll bring in some experts who can help us understand what led Pakistan to such a peak of sectarian violence. The state of Pakistan has failed to defend the Shia Muslims. The consequence is that they get away with murder. Islam isn't a monolith. Like any other religion, there are different sects. A majority of the world's Muslims are Sunni, with another 15 to 20 percent being Shia, and the remainder a variety of other Islamic minorities. One distinction is that Shia Muslims are characterized by a belief that the long line of prophets ending in Muhammad and Muhammad's family are divine messengers of God, while Sunnis believe only the prophets were. The two are a lot more alike than they are different. In Pakistan, Shia Muslims make up around 20% of the population. In 2017, 95% of sectarian violence worldwide was focused only on Shia Muslims. Pakistan is one of the countries most affected by violent religious extremism on the planet. Sadly, anti-Shia hate groups are prominent in Pakistani society. Their leaders publicly call for violence against the Shia minority, with little to no repercussions from the government. I spoke to Asad Gokul and Raza Askari, Shia Muslims who have both lost family members to anti-Shia hate crimes, to learn about what life in Pakistan feels like for them. I want to know from you, like, do you feel safe? Well, how can one feel safe when he, as soon as he, as he steps out of his home, he sees it written, Shia kafir hai, inko maanne se jannat milti hai, written on every single street, that Shias are infidels, you kill them and you enter into paradise. How do you feel about living there now? Who want to uh, leave his motherland? No one want to. I spoke to them in a series of Skype conversations. I was also able to speak to Asad face-to-face in Pakistan. Very unsafe, we feel unsafe, and I feel like law enforcement agencies should really, you know, uh, step up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
make this area that is safe for us to live. So this barricade, what's it for? This barricade is for the safety of this Mambarga. Yeah. So, yeah. So the irony is that as a community already being targeted and persecuted, we ourselves will step up, we ourselves will make... Did you protect yourself? Yeah. Although it's the basic right we should have from the government. Reza's family was holding a Shia gathering at their home during the holy month of Muharram when masked gunmen drove up on a motorcycle, killing his father and several others. And Asad's uncle was shot in a targeted incident as he left the ice factory he owned to head home. This is a picture of my uncle with all his three sons uh, visiting a shrine. At the time of his death, they were of age 9, 11 and 12 years. The first, they killed my father. Then the rest of them, my cousins, were sitting on the chair. They start firing on them. When I came and I just saw his body, these are the things I never forget. The bravest person I've ever known had died. I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe that how can he die? The thought of him not being anymore around just killed all of us from inside. Pakistan is the sixth most populous country in the world, and it was founded as an independent homeland for Muslims after its partition from post-colonial India. Its founder was Muhammad Ali Jinnah, a Shia Muslim himself, who believed the country should be inclusive of various faiths. It's not Shia versus Sunni, okay? There's a small Sunni, the wealthy militancy group, that is attacking Shia. But what allows them and what do not stop them from attacking Shia is the majority of Sunni people silent on this issue. Let's break down how Pakistan went from an interfaith society to a hub for sectarian violence. We sat down with Professor Hassan Abbas, a U.S.-based academic whose research focuses on national security in Pakistan and the Middle East. Shias are targeting targeted minority. Every time a Shia Muslim, they organize an event at their home, which is of religious in nature, they are targeted. If you have a Shia-sounding name outside on a nameplate and on your home, you are an important person who's doing something about pluralism or about human rights issues, you are a target just because of your name and your identity. Is there any particular events that you think led to the trajectory that we're at now? Very clearly in 1980s and 1990s, some of the prominent Shia Muslims were targeted. And by and large, the state and the Pakistani intelligentsia and the mainstream politicians, they stayed quiet. The Shia community could see that they are being targeted, but they were not listened to. Then there was a Saudi inflow. And it, it happened in a, a transformative fashion. And all of a sudden, Pakistan witnessed these religious political leaders becoming rich overnight. They have the best of the SUVs. They had their own guards. Somebody, the Pakistani military, the intelligence, the law enforcement should have probed how come it is the religious clerics who have become so rich all of a sudden. What business they are involved in which is so profitable, uh, no one else is thriving, they are thriving. I think that was the most damaging and problematic uh, change of the religious cleric becoming a politician, becoming a businessman, become a person of influence. That transformation was the most deadly in Pakistan, I think. Several anti-Shia militant groups have been banned by the Pakistani government, but the same individuals return as a new group. Their new name allows them to run for public office and hold rallies in the street. They know these are the same people that just changed their name. They've done nothing else. 
One such group is Ehle Sunnat Wal Jamaat, which promotes anti-Shia hate and violence. ASWJ is believed to be the political front for the deadly militant group Lashkar Ejangvi. ASWJ denies any connection between the two. Human Rights Watch has been advocating for accountability for these groups and the violence they perpetuate for years. This expert explained why it's so rare for the attackers to face real consequences. There's no real mystery about who's carrying out these attacks. Uh, the people who are victims, their family members, even members of the law enforcement community and government say that they know who's carrying out these attacks. It's the Lashkar Jangvi. Lashkar has long been in collusion with Pakistan security agencies. The consequence is that they get away with murder. When they are arrested, they magically escape from prison. They operate openly, even though some of them are on the most wanted list. I certainly say that the state of Pakistan has failed to defend the Shia Muslims. They have failed to defend the Christians of Pakistan. They have failed to defend and secure and protect other Muslim minorities as well. The Shia response to these attacks have been relatively restrained, according to one study, despite several Shia retaliatory strikes against local extremist groups. While the Pakistani government has condemned some of the individual incidents, they have not broadly recognized or acted to stop the pattern of persecution against the Shia minority. We reached out to multiple branches of the Pakistani government for interviews but received no official comment. While the situation appears dire, activists and allies are rising up to defend Pakistan's minorities. Protest against the killing of your Shia brethren as you will protest against the killing of your own brother, your own family, your own tribe, your own clan, your own society. Do not consider Shias separate from yourself. So what do you think is at stake with the oppression of Shias in Pakistan? I think the very idea of Pakistan is at stake. Uh, Pakistan, like we often say in the American sense, the, the idea of America is about the American ideals of liberty, freedom, um, equality. Um, in the same sense, the idea of Pakistan was of a pluralist nation. Its flag, it's, it's green and there's one huge strip uh, which is white. The green stands for the majority, the Muslims. The white strip um, is representing the Muslim, uh, the non-Muslim minorities, Christians, Hindus, everyone else. The modern-day Pakistan is defying its own idea of pluralism and equality and democracy. Um, and it was supposed to be a sanctuary for Muslims. When the Muslims have started killing each other, that sanctuary is no more. We are going to stay here. We are going to keep raising our voice against these terrorists. We're going to keep spreading interfaith harmony as much as we can. With newly elected Prime Minister Imran Khan inspiring renewed hopes for progressive Pakistan, it's yet to be seen if this vision includes the safety and acceptance of Shia Muslims.
direct grandparents. Of my direct grandparents. Great grandparents. Great grandparents. And great great grandparents. And great great grandparents. Lived in Europe. Lived in Europe. At the beginning of the Holocaust. At the beginning of the Holocaust. Sixteen of them were killed. Sixteen of them were killed. And nine barely survived. And nine barely survived. Years of concentration camps. Years of concentration camps. Forced labor. Forced labor. And delegitimization. And delegitimization. All under the cover of the law. All under the cover of the law. As Jews. As Jews. We know, we know that systemized mass murder, systemized mass murder does not happen by itself. Does not happen by itself. And it does not happen all of a sudden. And it does not happen all of a sudden. During the Holocaust, during the Holocaust, leadership and employees at IBM, leadership and employees at IBM provided structural support for the Nazi murder machine. Provided structural support for the Nazi murder machine. What if the workers at IBM had said no? What if the workers at IBM had said no? How many lives would have been saved? How many lives would have been saved? How many of our families would have lived? How many families would have lived? What if the workers at Palantir say no now? What if the workers at Palantir say no now? How many lives will be kept whole? How many lives will be kept whole? This is the price of working with ICE. This is the price of working with ICE. This is the price of working with ICE. And that was a clip from the protest which is happening now at Palantir. It's happening here in, well, in the Bay Area in Palo Alto, as well as in New York. And this was Abby Stein who is speaking and Abby Stein has shared these words on Twitter. Uh, you can find the video which was retweeted by Never Again Action. And I also wanted to provide, if you're unable to um, go there in person, they've also provided ways that you can contact Palantir to get them to stop their contract with ICE. And I am going to bring this up right now and share this information with you all. So uh, Mi Gente, which is an amazing organization that folks should also support, uh, you can follow them at on Twitter at Con Mi Gente, and that's C-O-N-M-I-J-E-N-T-E has some information that they've shared today this morning they've also have a lot of information they've had they've shared a lot of information this particular piece of information folks can find today as well uh call palantir this morning in new york city palantir tech refused to open their door to accept our petition with 140,000 signatures calling on them to drop their ice contracts so we'll take the message to them join us in calling on Pal palantir to end their collaboration with ICE. And here is the script. You can also find it if you follow Mijente on Twitter. Call Palantir, demand they drop all contracts with ICE. The phone number is 650-815-0200. Again, their number is 
0200. You press zero and leave a message. The call script says, I'm calling in support of the 52,000 plus immigrants currently incarcerated in detention camps across the U.S. by demanding Palantir drop its contracts with ICE. And IBM made punch cards for Nazi Germany. Palantir provides tech for Trump's fascist white supremacist agenda from cruel deportation raids to the surveillance and arrest of immigrants at the border and across the country. Palantir is complicit in ICE's terrorization of immigrants. The signing date for Palantir's ICM contract is September 20th. It's not too late to be on the right side of history and pledge that you'll stop powering ICE's deportation machine. Cancel every contract you have with ICE. Thank you. So again, if you're unable to be there in person, uh, you can also call in to Palantir and share your concerns. (sighs) Okay. There's a lot. There's a lot. Okay. Let's see. What else? Oh, yes. (laughs) Goodness. Okay. So there's more. There's more news to get to. Also played a couple songs by the band Adams for Peace, so I wanted to share that. The songs we played were from the album Amok, which came out in 2013. Before Your Very Eyes was the first one, and then played Judge, Jury, and Executioner. And next, a... Oh, wow, a positive news story. I mean, again, I guess the... As per usual on the show, the positive news stories are when something bad is prevented from happening or something bad is reversed. And yes, we'll take it. So have to be grateful for the positive things that happen and celebrate. So this is from the ACLU, uh, Ohio. LBGT rights release from September 12th, 2019. Victory transgender Ohio Ohioans to get their day in court in lawsuit against lawsuit against the state. So. Uh, U.S. District, District Attorney denies Ohio's motion to dismiss a lawsuit filed by the ACLU of Ohio and Lambda Legal on behalf of transgender Ohioans denied accurate birth certificates by the state. It's from Columbus. A U.S. District Court judge today ruled that the lawsuit filed by the ACLU of Ohio, the ACLU, and Lambda Legal on behalf of four transgender plaintiffs seeking accurate birth certificates can proceed. The court denied the state's motion to have the lawsuit dismissed, thereby ensuring the four transgender plaintiffs in the case will have their day in court, and the state of Ohio will be required to defend its discriminatory policy, which forces transgender people to live with incorrect mismatch documentation that exposes them to harassment and abuse. We are thrilled today, despite the state's attempt to block our case. The court has unequivocally upheld our claims, noting that Ohio is an extreme outlier one of only two states that does not permit trans individuals to correct their birth certificates. The court found that Ohio's continued refusal violates our client's right to live lives without fear of exposure to discrimination, harassment, or violence. This ruling paves the way to complete victory. Now we will continue to fight until we completely remove this barrier. In the end, transgender people will have access to the basic documents they need to live as their true and authentic selves, said Frida Levinson, legal director for the ACLU of Ohio. Today, we took a huge leap forward toward the goal of ensuring that transgender people born in Ohio will have access to an accurate birth certificate that matches their identity, which is essential to their safety, privacy, and well-being. What we are arguing is simple. The identities and dignity of transgender Ohioans must be recognized by the state, said Lambda Legal Staff Attorney Kara Inglehart. Ohio is out of step with the rest of 
of the United States in clinging to this archaic and dangerous refusal to provide transgender Ohioans with accurate documentation, which serves no other reason than discrimination. I am looking forward to my day in court, plaintiff Stacy Ray said. It is frustrating that it will take a lawsuit to have my state recognize me for who I really am, but I'm confident that in the end, our fundamental right to live as our true and authentic selves will prevail and that no one else in Ohio will have to endure the horrific experiences I and my fellow plaintiffs have endured moving forward. The lawsuit was filed in March 2018, challenging Ohio's refusal to correct the gender marker on birth certificates for transgender individuals for any reason at any time. Back then, Ohio was just one of three states, along with Tennessee and Kansas, that did not allow these corrections to be made. However, just this past June 2019, Kansas reached a consent agreement with Lambda Legal, and the court ordered the state to start issuing corrected birth certificates, leaving just Ohio and Tennessee continuing with this harmful anti-transgender policy on the books. Lambda Legal is challenging Tennessee's policy in court as well. As the court said in its opinion today, 48 other states have figured it out. There is no excuse for the state government to put trans people's lives on the line in this way. The current policy outs and misgenders transgender people born in Ohio anytime they have to use their birth certificate. I'm pleased that today the court acknowledged the seriousness of that type of harm. Whether, when, and how to share this sort of private information with others should be our own choice, not the government's, said Gabriel Arkles, senior staff attorney for the ACLU's LGBT and HIV project. The lawsuit was filed in the United States District Court for the Southern District of Ohio on behalf of four plaintiffs, Stacey Ray, Basil Argento, Ashley Breda, and Jane Doe, identified anonymously. The lawsuit argued that denying transgender Ohioans the ability to obtain accurate birth certificates discriminates against them and violates their privacy, liberty, and freedom from compelled speech under the U.S. Constitution. According to the 2015 U.S. Transgender Survey, almost one-third of transgender individuals who showed an identity document with their name, with a name or gender marker that conflicted with their, per, with their perceived gender were harassed, denied benefits or services, discriminated against, or assaulted. Transgender individuals are also disproportionately targeted for hate crimes. The lawsuit is Ray versus Himes. And they have a link to read more about the case. And again, you can find this at ACLUOhio.org. And I believe I'll share it again once more in case we haven't already on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. Also, I share a lot of stories on Twitter. So you're welcome to follow me on there as well at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R, mostly retweet and share articles on there. I want to say a big thank you to all the Patreons out there, patrons out there who we have a Patreon page set up for this show. Uh, the first $100 that we raise per month goes directly to paying the dues, which is to rent the space here at Mutiny Radio. Uh, paying dues is what keeps the doors open here. Um, we're mostly-ish, a collective-ish type space here. And so really appreciate all the folks out there who listen. And also, if you're able to give, uh, understand if you're not able to, but if you do have a few bucks, even a dollar a month, if you could sign up to be a, a Patreon for this show, it would mean a lot. I come here because I believe it's important to share resources, to share what's happening. And um, I make sure that I'm here on um, as many Fridays as I can be. So anything to help 
offset the cost of that would be greatly appreciated. Again, if you go to Patreon, I don't think I even announced it yet. Patreon.com forward slash weekly rev would be greatly appreciated. Also, I'm curious, we get a lot of downloads for this show, which is great. And I'm curious as to who is listening to this show. So feel free to, I guess, like us on Facebook. Ugh, I know Facebook, gross. You can, uh, or on Twitter, if you follow me on Twitter, let me know who you are, where you are. Um, we had um, anywhere for the last few months, we got our statistics out from the radio station, um, anywhere from between 12,000 and 16,000 uh, downloads for the past three months uh, per month. So thank you so much for listening in. It means a lot because it's different. I did a lot of theater and it's different to... I recognize I'm speaking and there are people who are listening. However, it's different when you don't have an audience in front of you. So I appreciate that there are folks listening and I'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, uh, news to share, anything of the above, please do get in touch. All right. And I've got another story. It's 121. I'll get to this other story. And actually, I'm going to play some music first. And then we'll get to the story so I can rest my voice for a bit. Uh, This is Amy Mann and we'll be back in a bit. So stay tuned.
All right, welcome back. That was Ted Leo and the Pharmacists with Little Dawn, one of my favorite songs, which I haven't heard for years. Oh, that's one thing is that I grew up in the in the age when we had uh, compact discs and cassettes, and uh, it was easy to see the music. And I recognize some folks do do that. I've moved a lot of times in my life, and at one point, I ended up giving away uh, my CD collection. And uh, so it's difficult. So although I have a few things digital now, it's difficult to remember exactly what what we have access to. And of course, with the internet, there's access to a lot of music. So it's good to hear that song again. There is I mentioned that there is the event happening at Palantir today at Palo Alto. And also, if you're unable to get down there, there's another event that's happening at 6 p.m. I wanted to share with folks. Empower the Ice Queen Drag Show and March to the Castro with Shahid for Change. That's happening today, Friday, September 13th at 6 p.m. It's going to end at 8 p.m. The location is the ICE headquarters, which is at 630 Sansom Street in San Francisco. And there's, if you go to the Action Network, they have info there. Um, I believe you can also just probably show up. So I don't know if there's a Facebook invite for that just yet. However, that's happening again today, 6 p.m. Ice headquarters, 630 Sansom Street. (sighs) I feel all I've been doing is talking here. So I realize that's minimal. And also, it's a lot. What we're talking about is a lot. What we're witnessing and hearing is a lot that's happening. And it's, it's fucked up. So wanting to give voice to that, to acknowledge that it's happening, and also highlight the voices of the folks who are taking action and showing up and also reminding people that there's a variety of ways that folks can show up and speak truth to power, whether it's in person, whether it's on the phone, whether it's talking to your community, getting to know your neighbors, growing food. There's a lot of different ways to to show up sharing what you do have. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. I forgot about this terrible story. It's terrible in that um, I'm glad it's the truth is revealed. And also it's terrible that this is the world that we're living in. And also got to share it. Oh, this is from ecowatch.com. Leaked audio shows oil lobbyist bragging about success in criminalizing pipeline protests. Fuck them too. Ugh. And of course I'm saying fuck the oil lobbyists, of course, and sending lots of love and solidarity to the folks who have showed up to protest the pipelines. This is written by, or come out through Common Dreams on August 30th, 2019. And again, you can find it at ecowatch.com. Oh, this is written by Jake Johnson. Oh, I'm going to take a deep breath and get to this story here. As a growing number of states move to pass laws that would criminalize pipeline protests and hit demonstrators with years in prison, an audio recording obtained by The Intercept shows a representative of a powerful oil and gas lobbying group bragging about the industry's success in crafting anti-protest legislation behind closed doors. Speaking during a conference in Washington, D.C. in June, Derek... Derek Morgan, Senior Vice President for Federal and Regulatory Affairs at the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, touted model legislation that states across the nation have passed in recent months. 
AFPM represents a number of major fossil fuel giants, including Chevron, Coke Industries, and ExxonMobil. We've seen a lot of success at the state level, particularly starting with Oklahoma in 2017, said Morgan, citing Dakota Access Pipeline protests as the motivation behind the aggressive lobbying effort. We're up to nine states that have passed laws that are substantially close to the model policy that you have in your packet. And they provide a link to a tweet here by Friends of the Earth, which is at FOE underscore US. Big Oil is now using its political power to try and criminalize protests of oil and gas infrastructure. This This legislation has potential to punish public participation and mischaracterize advocacy protected by the First Amendment. And they have a link to the article in The Intercept. The audio recording comes just months after Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed into law legislation that would punish anti-pipeline demonstrators with up to 10 years in prison, a move environmentalists condemned as a flagrant attack on free expression. Big oil is hijacking our legislative system, Dallas Goldtooth of the Indigenous Environmental Network said after the Texas state, excuse me, after the Texas Senate passed the bill in May. As The Intercept's Lee Fang reported Monday, the model legislation Morgan cited in his remarks has been introduced in various forms in 22 states and passed in Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Missouri, Indiana, Iowa, South Dakota, and North Dakota. The AFPM lobbyists also boasted that the template legislation has enjoyed bipartisan support, according to Fang. In Louisiana, Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards signed the the version of the bill there, which is being challenged by the Center for Constitutional Rights. Even in Illinois, Morgan noted, we almost got that across the finish line in a very Democratic-dominated legislature. The bill did not pass as it got pushed aside over time constraints at the end of the legislative session. And they also have a tweet by Stand Up to Alec, which is at Stand Up to Alec. Many of the state bills restricting the right to protest have been drafted by companies and passed through groups like Alec, a the secretive group of corporate lobbyists trying to rewrite state laws to benefit corporations over people. And they have an article in their tweet from ecowatch.com. So that's, again, ugh just fucked up and also what happens when you give corporations uh the same rights as people oh all right so uh ideally it'd be good to end on a positive news story so perhaps i'll look for one in the meantime i'm gonna play this track by temple of the dog and we'll be back in a bit Farming babies with slaves are 
single one of you. I'm so proud of you who have come here. And I, there, it's a lot of people, a lot more than I think ever, anyone had expected. And I was in the back, so I didn't see anything but the nearest meter. So this is very overwhelming. And um, to just never give up, we will... We will continue and uh, see you next week on September 20th. All right. So that was posted today, and that was Greta Thunberg. Uh, today was a DC climate strike. As I mentioned, there's lots of protests happening because the world's falling apart. Uh, I guess maybe the world's okay, but humans are just... We're doing a rough job. And... That brings me to the last story that I will share, which is something, uh, again, terrible situation and something positive become, I'll, yeah, I, how does one find language in times like this? This comes from Common Dreams. The article came out yesterday, September 12th. Holy smokes, this thing could get huge. New York City public schools to let students, hashtag climate strike. They are finally treating the crisis like a crisis, said 14-year-old New Yorker and climate striker Alexandria Villasenor. And this was written by Jessica Corbett. Climate advocates celebrated Thursday after New York City's public school system announced it would excuse the absences of students who have a parent's permission to participate in the global climate strike on Friday, September 20th. Holy cow, tweeted Bill McKibben, a co-founder of 350.org. The environmental group is helping plan a week of action that will feature thousands of events around the world to coincide with a United Nations climate summit in New York City. Another 350.org co-founder, Jamie Henn, also welcomed the New York City announcement on Twitter Thursday. He wrote, holy smokes, this thing could get huge. The New York City Public Schools account explained in a series of tweets that younger students will only be allowed to leave school for the climate strike if they are accompanied by a parent and promise to share guidance with the city's schools and promote class discussions about the climate crisis. And they share a tweet from at NYC Schools. Alexandria Villasenor, a 14-year-old New York City leader of Fridays for Future and the first American to hold a school strike for climate, noted in a statement that the New York City Department of Education's decision came after many months of hard work and conversations between we activists and the city. They are finally treating the crisis like a crisis, and this will make sure that September 20th is the largest mobilization that New York City has ever seen, said Villasenor. Now I am calling on every city in the United States to follow New York City's lead and support their students in striking for their futures. We need everyone in the streets next Friday. It took me only 41 weeks to be excused from school for my hashtag climate strike, she added in a tweet. Never, ever give up, people. New York City, and they also share a tweet from her. New York City's announcement also came just a day after Amnesty International Secretary General Kumi Naidu sent a personal plea to more than 30,000 schools worldwide, urging administrators to allow students to join the climate strikers on September 20th and 27th, which will bookend Climate Campaigners Week of Action, inspired by youth activists with the Fridays for Future movement. Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old Swede whose protests for bold climate action outside her country's parliament last year helped spark the global school strike movement, highlighted Nadu's letter in a tweet Thursday, and they shared Greta's tweet. 
Amnesty U.S.'s chapter shared a video on social media Thursday featuring 15-year-old Callan Benson from Annapolis, Maryland, who explained that through youth-led movement, we are calling on our leaders to listen to the scientists and listen to the science that is coming out about climate change and to do more uh, and to do more the addressed to address, I guess, the human-caused crisis. And then they have a link from Amnesty International linking to Globet Global. <laughs> Linking to globalclimatestrike.net, where activists are registering events for the Week of Action, 350.org also shared a video Thursday and encouraged others who intend to join the climate strikes to make their own. They have a link from uh, 350.org, which you can follow on Twitter, at 350. And uh, and then there's a, a video, so let's let's hear the audio for this here. Hi, I'm out of the office. I'm out of the office. I'm out of the office. Because I'm out of patience. And we're out of time. This is a climate crisis. So I'm out on strike. I'm out on strike. I'm out on strike. In the streets. In the streets. For climate justice. justice. For all our futures. Join the climate strike. Are you with me? Are you with me? This change coming. All right. So again, global climate strike. September 20th. All right. And I am going to like this tweet. Great. Moving along in the article. This September, millions of us will walk out of our workplaces and homes to join young climate strikers on the streets and demand an end to the age of fossil fuels. You can read the organizing website. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> read the organizing website. Our house is on fire. Let's act like it. We demand climate justice for everyone. So again, you can find this article at commondreams.org. I think that will wrap, that will be it for today. Went through a lot of information today. Sending lots of love and solidarity out to everyone out there listening and folks not listening to, of course. Uh, ugh, ugh. Lots of groans, lots of sighs, and also acknowledging what's happening and uh, whew, taking a, a deep breath here. And I was thinking of the the James Baldwin quote, uh, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. So thank you, James Baldwin, for that. Oh. Okay, I'm going to take a few deep breaths and find a song to play us out. And we'll be back again next week with some more news stories. <sighs> and can't go wrong with Tracy Chapman. So here we are, and uh, we'll be back next week. Have a great week, everybody. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds? Don't you know talking about a revolution it sounds like a whisper While they're standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know talking about a revolution 
Happy and 
Swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hello there, 
my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastics deep in the mission where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for <laughs> is in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. (laughs) 